Monday morning, so good to me. Monday, that's five seconds. That's all we got. Well, public right. domain, right? Well, it's not public domain, and and we'll get sued or copyright something. That's something. right. It'll be relevant later. In case you haven't figured it out, you're turning into the Crash Courts podcast. Welcome back to another week. I'm... Oh, I, we, do, <laughs> we do have an announcement. We have an announcement? The day we're recording is Steve's birthday. Happy birthday, Steve. Hey. You're older now. Although, Monday, Monday. <laughs> although by the time it no, goes out, over. it'll no, be after gonna, your birthday, so it'll be gonna, belated. They're going to come out, find us, and they're going to break our kneecaps. Isn't that what the... But can I just repeat the, the five-second segment over and over? I can't go beyond that in any one session correct i don't know details don't you were the one who told me about that five no seconds. it is it's true i don't yeah. remember the exact no, i think detail. that was for food that drops on the ground that's the five second rule or is that the three second rule semantics I, I, they cross over they cross over they're what cross-pollination is that the word yeah sure yeah. <laughs> why not no no he's right from yeah these rules you know there's a there's a hierarchy there's a there's a of course, upper like echelon the of people rules. that really make these you know, rules. Shotgun in the car? Yeah. yeah there are Shotgun in the car. If and you yes, break them, rules. if you break them, they're coming after you. Who's they? Them. Them. Who's them? You know, those, they. Those them. Those, those, there? Well, if you watch uh, the, the 1950, I want to say 55, 56 movie Them or They, actually, there's both a movie Them and They, Giant Killer Ants. In yes, case, I remember those. Th- that's them. They're the ones making the rules. So wait, them giant is giant killer, killer ants? ants? Yes. I feel like we've delved into a South Park episode. This was long before South Park was even an idea. That's yeah, but true. I feel like we've delved into one now. You just want to use the word delve. It's not a bad word. It's, it's on my true. calendar. As words go. The only other news as far as this week goes is I started finally playing the new Zelda game and I've exposed both Steve and John to some of the orchestrated music from it and it's quite fantastic. The choose save file music is actually quite exhilarating, and I'm not making this up. It's He's actually not... really good. It's just the save file music. Yeah, that was um, that was pretty entertaining. I I gotta say. Well, to be honest, whenever you take any anything that's usually in a very very different medium, and then you just oh let's make it the orchestra now. That it's usually pretty in. It's pretty intense. Yeah. Like, there's no way it can be anything else but intense. Sometimes it can be tacky, but this was not tacky. Yeah. So, you know. Well, it, it takes a good arranger. That's what we, it's something we never, rarely, rarely ever talk about. Arranging and, uh, and orchestration. Usually we just talk about composition, but there's a lot to be said about arrangers. We also haven't done most of the stuff they've done that could talk about arrangement. The arrangement wasn't something so phenomenal that we needed to discuss it. See, that's the thing about arranging music is a lot of times you can get very, very lazy with that job. Mm. Um, it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm a, I, I didn't quite get the com- composition job that I wanted, so I'll just use my talents toward reinventing existing work, which is not to put down arrangers, it's just saying, don't don't, don't feel bad. Don't be that guy. Don't, don't be do that, it. Don't be that guy. Exactly. Don't do it. Um, so, Steve, why don't, why don't you introduce us to this monstrosity and i use it in both negative and positive terms that you brought us this week ah yes my pick for this week all right well 
Monstrosity uh, crosses over into several things. Uh, first of all, the title of their band. The, as in T-H-E-E, -E, the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra. Also formerly known as a Silver Mount Zion for people that like brevity. And for people that really, really don't, the Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tralala Band with Choir. Actually, Tralala Band, and then there's another iteration of the band that includes the choir. And I think it's somewhere in there, there were also the Silvermount Reveries. So yeah, they, they've had a lot of names. And they've had a lot of albums. They've been around since 1999. They generally fall under the category of post-rock, although other people would just rather call them experimental because it's easier. Um, well, because experimental is a fairly large umbrella you can sweep things under. It is a large umbrella, but sometimes it is just, it's, it's more appropriate but, and for I remember seeing, categorization purposes. I remember seeing one person explaining the band, calling them post-something-something, and actually asked me to fill in my own blanks for this band. Yeah, I think experimental might be the way to go. <laughs> and that, that long title the... wasn't even the album name. What the album name was... Fuck off, get free, we pour light on everything. Yeah. Fuck off, get free, we pour light on everything. This is the album. Uh, it's pretty new, only last month. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about this band. I, I got into them sometime in college. I owe my roommate for getting me into this band as well. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. It was very new to me at the time, and I have to say their older work from the early 2000s really, really grew on me. It was the kind of thing that I, I think very easily can deter certain people who aren't used to a lot of noise in their music. That's another thing they could fall under noise rock, which is a whole separate thing unto yeah. itself. Uh, because they do like their distortion, and also the manner of singing that the vocalist has is sort of an instrument unto itself in the fact that he really winds his way through all the lyrics. But it, I still think in many cases it fits, uh, it fits the emotion of, of the track. But you know, these are very long tracks. They get Most frequently get up to 11 minutes, 14 minutes. They've had... But almost on, every album has a long track. But also on, of on the same record, we have songs that are two and four minutes long. That's which true. Which is unique. Which serves Usually, nice interlude. they're either all fairly long tracks or all fairly short tracks. Or you just get an evergreen thrown into the mix of the Right, but, but this That's definitely right. kind of goes to far left and right field. Yeah. Well... I guess we have to, in order, I, this is not a, the type of band that I could sit here and try to describe what they're about before really describing the music in question. So I say we start off with the almost self-titled track, Fuck Off, Get Free, For the Island of Montreal. Which fittingly begins with this cute little girl saying, We live on the island called Montreal, and we make a lot of noise because we love each other. Which is kind of sweet for, for noise rock. Yeah. In, in Sue the Noise Rock. Right there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when this, this album started, I really didn't know where it was going to go. I hadn't looked at the track names. In fact, when I just saved it to my Spotify, because I have the paid version of Spotify, so you can do that on your phone. I saved it to my phone and saw there were only what was six tracks, and I went, oh, is this the wrong album? I actually searched the page several times on the phone because you can't see everything. No, that's also very common for them. Yeah. Short, sh not many tracks, but very long tracks. See... This is also a question I have that we can jump into another time, but what defines something as an album? Length of time? Number of tracks? Both? Well, it's it derives from the LP, yeah, long play. play. In other words, yes, it should have... It, it, 
it the, stems so from the, the amount of time. time that would have originally filled up both sides of a 33 so RPM the, record. So essentially the runtime. The full runtime over a certain amount would imply that it's a Yeah, it, it's, in general, it's between 45 to uh, an hour and 15 minutes. Anywhere it's in that funny, range, though, because there good. are albums that we've covered that are a half hour that were also considered albums. I think it's more about what you want to pitch it as. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think it's more marketing EP, than anything EPs else. EPs are, tend to be B-sides. They tend to be things that are not formed. It's not like a full album concept. Not it's always, more about, though. Some EPs are just a short section of tracks, but not enough to make a full Well, that's record. the case where you have like just one single track that you consider to be sort of um, an epic unto itself, but you know that's not really like, you know, you're not going to be giving people an album's worth. You're going to basically you'd be giving people one piece yeah. one work so then you treat that as a self-contained ep mm, that's fair um, that makes sense i think and, my best example of that is the tane by uh the decemberists yeah. which again it's many songs within itself but it, it's a whole giant piece right. but it counted under an ep so, uh, and back on topic <laughs> no i liked that i liked that aside i'm very glad he went in that direction get, get give matt props Matt, you have him. Matt, you have been given props. Gee, what should I do with props? Them? Can I spend them? Are they a currency? <laughs> Only. We'll see if we accrue enough of them for you to do that. That's fair. I need. I do need to earn enough points. <laughs> Track one. So fuck off, get free. I enjoy immensely this introduction to the hypnotizing sound we're going to get into this album, and the way they interplay other instruments on top of this. The fierce currents they throw on top of their steady uh, uh, rift guitar and drum beat. Well, again, that's very typical of the whole post-rock feel, using the guitar as... This kind of goes back to our Sigurose conversation back in episode 60. Post-rock, we discussed it back then, tends to use the guitar more as an ambient effect than as your typical, you know, shredding, solo-type guitar. Uh, it's all about effect work here. It's about creating... In a... a, a, a type of an ambiance that's going there's to, definitely a mood creation a here it's not necessarily super strong emotions in every point but they're definitely trying to create a certain kind of mood a certain kind of feeling in the air melancholy is one of the closer emotions i could really really attribute to definitely uh, a lot of melancholy what, in what this work. song's doing uh but it's very unsettling that's that's yeah. a major component, and we did hit the, almost paper chase territory in certain parts for sure. And that that is, I I think, really present in the way that horns get used, the mm -hmm. way that the violins get used, the way that uh, the more punctuated guitar work does. Even the drum it, builds definitely help shape. I think it, it has to do more. <laughs> We're all on different uh, uh, sides with this, but I think I I attribute it more to the vocalist himself and that that whine that he has. He's not, it's 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 singing a little bit off key. Uh, more it's at the point where he's his his phrases taper off just a little bit and he yeah. sort of throws in a little bit of an accent there it's um it's almost spoken word at the same time there is a definable melody but i think that's what what is a little bit offsetting about it is his singing style other than that maybe the only other thing would be the distortion but this first track i still thought was fairly straightforward um, it had a definable melody. You, you can't really say it's that uh, experimental when you have a definable melody. It does have definable sections as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it does have a progression to what it's doing musically. Uh, something you can follow along with and actually move through emotions. Because while you, melancholy seems to be a very permeating idea here, 
you do get a lot a lot of that that what I called earlier the fierce current of the other instruments does does raise the emotion in sections to 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 bring it up a little bit more, especially in the uh, as Steve is explaining them to me the A and B primes the reprisal kind of ideas that they do with these sections. That's the thing because the, in ter- form wise again when you're working across a massive span of of was this track about eleven minutes or yeah. it was yeah, it, it was, was a little there. shorter a little bit <laughs> <laughs> shorter than a couple of others later yes but um. I actually think this is something they do fairly well. I think they've mastered it over the uh, 15 years they've been around now. They like giving you a whole story that lasts for a while. They want to immerse you in a certain environment. So when you're talking about form, when you're talking about dividing this between sections, I think they're not so far off here that they're constantly moving you from phase to phase to phase. They want to keep it fairly straightforward. So... The, the the A section here, which is the primary melody, it states itself. You have a little bit of distortion in the background. At some points, it recedes, and then it comes back again, this time a little bit more frantic. There's more instruments layered in. You get a deeper exploration of the same exact section. That's what John meant when I said the, the, the A prime, for instance. It, re-exploring the primary section, advancing it. And then you only really have, I think, one more section in this that I'd consider a B, and then a a B prime, where they just further that again. Well, I will definitely say that this band, as far as bands we've listened to, at least on the podcast, this is not the most disjointed we've listened to. There is a lot more... There is clutter, but I don't think it's chaos. It's deceptive. That's the thing. Yeah, it is. Well, there's a dissonance that's created, especially towards the end of this track, in the B section that we're getting into, that really kind of sells this kind of organized uh clutter that they're going for that's i think that think that's a section where they really feel like they're going more floydian where you're getting a little more towards that 70s kind of psychedelic and that was that part with those in the first track there is a lot of hints of psychedelic rock i will definitely that's another thing i get get just from his voice alone you can go down that road totally but but it's those high i i didn't know how else to put it but to say they were like high emergency guitar uh strums it was just well, yeah, I got a sense. They are really, they are really high strung. No pun, no pun intended. But they, they, they have that whining, uh, uh, but repetitive nature of like an EMT vehicle, or something to that effect. And it does create that same sort of apprehension of like you're getting pulled over. But that's just one way to put it. Yeah. But that's what I was saying. Like when I was listening to this, I actually thought for a moment when he was singing the high whine with yeah. the way the guitars were going, very much reminded me of parts of Asmintantes. I got a sense of that psychedelic rock just in that moment. It wasn't very long, but it was just a very kind of when it came together, very much was reminiscent I, of what I we had done. I subconsciously saw... linked my last pick to this one. Interesting. Yeah. But, um, and I, I want to speak to his his vocal work, too, because the, the line that gets repeated, uh, not ad nauseum, because that sounds bad, but very often... Um, <laughs> And it's distorted, and yes, does get treated like an instrument. And this is speaking to something you said earlier, Steve. Hold me under burning water, never let me surface. And we're not sure still yeah, if let's, that's... Let's make it known that we had trouble locating the lyrics for this album, and 
it's the the distortion in his voice is so difficult to hear through. Even when we sat focused and the instruments had cut out at one point and it's just him singing, we still weren't sure what he was saying. And even that's not till the very very end of the song. That's yeah. essentially the outro or the or the B prime where you're just continuing the same heavy bass dirge that begins. So we're a little all over the place here, but I do want to say one thing uh, generally about this type of sound that I I do consider it a fairly mature sound. I think it's the kind of thing that this is speaking directly to what you said earlier, Matt, that that it it is a little bit deceptive. Yes. That it seems it, it seems as if there is less connection here than there really is. There there is it it's very tied together within both song and to some extent album, but I think it takes a little bit more of a trained ear uh for their work. Yeah. It's well, the kind of thing I know I know immediately I could I could pinpoint a lot of people personal friends of mine who would listen to this and be immediately d- deterred. Well, distortion, also, distortion alone would do that. Well, yeah, well, that's just it. The distortion is almost like a white ro- whitewash across the entire record. It's a, it's a long whitewash across the entire record that if you can't see past, it's very easy to get lost in it. Yes. And very easy to ignore the, the, the quality that is underneath it because there is something there. And it points in the album, it blends really well with the, the, the clutter that's going on, but there yes. are other moments where... It becomes so loud and overpowering that you really can't concentrate on that the other my, stuff. That was my own experience with this. Even though I, I picked this album. I mean, I, I usually have no idea what to expect for from uh, Silver Mount Zion, but then <laughs> this album actually falls kind of under what they typically do and what they've been doing for the past 15 years. So, yeah, I had pretty much the same exact experience. There are parts where, um, where it's really hard to grapple with the distortion. I, I'll say personally, I didn't really hear those nice, mean drums until about halfway through my second listen of this song, where I really was trying to pick out something past that guitar. And once I caught them, they were they were beautiful. They the, were drummer, great. the drummer, the drummer is phenomenal. phenomenal. He but might see, be my highlight thing of the that record. You ju- that you just uh, noted that kind of makes sense to me now that I think about it. I think one of the reasons for it sounding so cluttered is the way the distortion reacts with the crash symbol. Yes. I think oh, there's, there's a bleed over. That creates that whitewash to feel. So a lot of times, you know, you're hearing this great drum solo, but then the crash symbol comes in, you already have the heavy distortion. I'm not so sure this was mixed very well. I think I would I would cite a production fault on this album and maybe for all the stuff they've done also because it's the kind of thing that I think is going to cater to audiophiles primarily yeah you need to have really high quality versions be listening on really good speakers i'm not saying that it's impossible to you know really get uh the full breadth of this work on uh you know earbuds but you you could risk you're really running the risk there against your ears for instance just having trouble uh uh i think uh (laughs) from a a health perspective right well i mean and before we move away from it even though i don't want to jump to the track it but track three really exemplifies what you were just talking about this fact that there's great drum work but it kind of gets sucked into that overwhelming static yeah and and three is where we where where i really noticed that and we'll get to that because i remember listening to the drum solo and going oh this sounds really great i wish i could hear more of it right but but back to the first track yes the the thing that really got, got my attention in the b section was 
so we're past the nonsense lyrics or what appear to be nonsense at least in the beginning and now we're into a more instrumental part and they bring in those horns and the drum build and that's where they're really showing a uniqueness for post-rock because i'm not saying that there aren't horns in post-rock but well i guess that's exactly what i'm saying typically i don't know well, I, and and that's not necessarily true but like post-rock is just another one of those umbrellas right again like the, almost the only definable thing you can pin to post-rock is that use of the guitar which yeah all right you can see a similarity it's... on that front but then if you're talking about the other the other ends of of creative uh outlets i mean you could really do anything you want no of course this that's another special thing about this band that should be said up front they use a lot of of uncommon instruments for rock itself but the horn specifically cello is a main feature violins are yeah. main feature well, I mean, violins and cellos are actually becoming a lot more common in post-rock and pop-rock, so... That's true, but usually but they're featured. Exactly. They, they're been they're on guests, every not, mus not, not, not members musicians. of the band, um, often. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, Blue October, who we reviewed, they do have a resident yeah, violin this is, player. This is a rule of thumb. I can yeah, easily yeah. cite, yeah, many who do have staple But the point I wanted to make about the horns, though, is these kind of horns especially, you typically only heard a lot... Like, me, commonly, in the music that I would hear horns like this are more ska yeah. or, 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 you know, kind Trumpets of punk or reggae. Trumpets are what I think of when I think of horns, and these aren't just... Trumpets. Yeah, they, they, they're used in a different way that really shows the uniqueness and the talent of this band. I feel like I've mentioned this at, at some point previously, but I'm really, really liking, just on a mass music scale kind of thing, I'm really liking how brass is becoming more common yeah. in, in, in rock music. I we think. also... Yeah. Now, now, and this is not just from the ska perspective. This is from, like, the indie perspective, no, the sure, post-rock. The, there are more bands that are using horns readily. It's like they just discovered that section of the staple orchestra. Well, I think it's more to do with the fact that now that just about anybody can be a musician, what I'm saying is, with the access we have now that you didn't always have in the past, yeah. instrument, being able to get cheaper instruments to just have them and find them and get your hands on them, is allowing these bands that are coming up, especially indie bands, to use whatever they can get their hands on to make music. Exactly. Now, so you meet a person, be like, oh, I play trumpet. Huh, well, I never thought of using that, but you know what? You'll do. Yeah. And then they end up making something wildly unique based on it. There's also the fact that no longer are you putting up on bulletin boards, band practice, apply within. You're actually just going on a variety of websites and going, hey... I'm a musician. I need a band. Well, there's actually it's and even one more step above that. I mean, ten thousand people instead of ten. Well, there's yeah. one more step above that too. Is now bands can actually record and collaborate completely over the internet. You don't even need to be in the same room. Um, Tribe One, who I played and mentioned before, he's in a brand new band called Malibu Shark Attack. Yeah. And he does the rhyming for it. The person who makes the beats for him, he lives in Atlanta, Georgia. The other guy lives in Ireland. And they're making an album together that's coming out later this year. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, that said, a, a, a conglomeration of instruments like this are definitely, is definitely more of a modern thing. It's been done before, but it's becoming more common now because of access that we have and the fact that you can do mixing all over the country or all over the world. 100% true. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving all of these asides, although I do have a few, a few things to really mention about the chronology of this first track, which is really important. And, and the, 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 the whole general vibe that it sets up for this album here uh i've already mentioned the singing i've already mentioned the distortion from a chordal perspective i think another reason why we tend to hone in on that distortion and really focus on the fact that they're just building and stacking instruments on top of each other and playing around with this is because of the chord progressions it 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 starts out for instance on c minor they really play around with c minor for a while and it's it's sort of 
quivering when you when you uh, add the violins on top of that. The quiver up up above to um, to harmonize against what the main vocalist is doing, and even though the, dis the distortion is not very rumbly here, it's more in the mid range. With that's why it can kind of bleed together because you're in C minor for so long, and then there it starts to lose some of the crispness, and that's when it starts to get really, really cluttered. Then we move into just one of the chords, and this is already, like, you know, minutes later. Minutes into the song, we're finally getting, like, a C major. So you get a lot of mode mixture here. It introduces uh, a Mixolydian mode. It grows very, very dramatic. It turns kind of positive at this point, and it builds and it builds. There's sort of a cacophony of sounds at this point, but at least it's on a more positive front. Well, it was but that's the thing. It's So many minutes have passed, and you're on just, like, two chords total. It, that's why it can sound kind of... You're not moving around. There's not as much space. You're not moving around quarterly. Yeah, but with that, even though it didn't move around quarterly, this song still didn't drag as much as other songs later on. It did kind of move... And I think the thing that really did it was everything else that was going on. Even though quarterly it didn't change that much, there was enough other things that yes. it kept it moving. It was a layering, the thing... and the fact that the actual main riff that was pervasive in this A section is just very hypnotic. It is a, That's it is true. a, it is a great riff to work off of. That's a very good point. Uh, but the thing is, in terms of moving the song forward away from that, I think that's why we really kind of honed in on B. Mm -hmm. Really, really. And that, well, the, yeah, because the we're B is defined, ready for that change. The B, you could first sense really the transition. Nice you sense it when the bass Ooh, steps in there. Yeah. When the bass gets really, really deep and rumbly. And, and uh, it, it, it's powerful. It's not, it's not showy, it's just deliberate. Meanwhile, the strings complement overhead just so well in sort of a tearful way. Uh, that's, I think, where it became most interesting, because then it's moving around uh, chord-wise. It's not just staying still. It's almost like a fugue of sorts, where the bass line is moving around while you have these strings in sort of kind of close to that range, establishing these little dissonances, and they're just meandering around each other. That 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 is a classic fugue right there. You have two lines working simultaneously, each, each as important. Right. So uh, I I was really I think that's what 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 sold me. If you had if they had continued A section no, or we the were remainder all of the song, bored by it, we think. would have definitely been bored. But B, I mean, once they step in with the trumpets there and then the violins, it's just it's it's frantic and yet there's so much there's so much intrigue in that yeah. section. And then the and outro was pretty nice. The uh, the and the, the two ending female violin voices and the violin that came in at the end. The as violin well. with the female voices right there. No. That was one of the. Especially... That's what created the dissonance I was talking about. Is that sound? Well, it was also because they were yeah they were was... singing right close to that range and they were yeah. also overlaying their voices uh, with really messed up syllables, which is why you can't actually hear the main singer's words, even though there's very little going on because of how closely they're they're speaking on top of one another. You're getting a lot of dissidents just by the use of different syllables and sounds in the consonants. Yeah. Which is, it's not the the more classic of a round where people are singing just different lines at the same time. This one, they're actually playing with that, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. They had also had almost their own distinctive melody at that point. The, it, it's like they, this was actually very, very interesting transition into the next track because the entire song this entire first track takes on almost a new personality when you enter in the the female vocalists because they're so different from anything else you had heard until that point it was all so chaotic and now you have this 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 
this quiet, this sweetness mm -hmm. that is being settled in, and that that's what they leave the song out on. Very, very interesting as an at, for an opening track, and that leads us into track two, Austerity Blues. So this one starts with something that really caught my attention within the first thirty seconds, which is this aggressive guitar strum. It, you know, we've covered a lot of work that has an acoustic guitar strumming, but what's so unique about this is because of the way it was played, it added this extra scratch to the sound that is very quickly within 30 seconds joined by uh, the lead singer's raspy singing voice. And it's complemented very well with the very uh, punctuated chimes and very sweet bass. Yeah, the chimes very is really what, what introduced the whole thing. Um, and yeah, the bass the bass takes its time, does not step in right away. We get that we get that minute. that D pedal on the on the guitar, but it's 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 very it's very steady, very kind of folk sounding, very rugged. Uh, and then, I think we get the melody first before the bass. The melody comes in. Mm -hmm. the, the the vocalist starts singing. Yeah. And then the bass. Steps the bass in. and drum come in after that. Was, that. Yeah, and that's that, where that it really such brought a, it together. A pointed moment for it, this because we didn't get. We didn't get such so defined of an intro, I think, for the beginning of the first track, and we get it here. This is well, very much like an exposition, well, this almost more of an exposition in the first track. Right, well, and also I had said when we were listening to it that it reminded me very much of, I guess, a finger quotes, standard post-rock start. I mean, it felt more like a rock and roll band than the previous track had. You know, as far as what you're expecting, the standard, you know, guitar, drum, and bass. Well, yes and no. Because of that steady guitar, I was still sort of... I was toward the folk end of the spectrum. Well, what I'm saying Granted, is that it had... Granted, takes you away it from was that. More, it was a more formulaic composition than the previous track was. It wasn't as cluttered. It was more straightforward. Okay, I agree with that. Especially That's, considering the melody itself. Yeah. Um, it, and it establishes this basic melody along G minor with a twang of sadness to it again it is a blues and it it builds a little bit and after a certain point we get a very quick b section in here where all this tension along g minor is just sweetly released this this g major uh sort of along mixolydian again here you're okay i gotta call you out you're glossing over something i have in this a section oh, that is a it. big problem and that is the late introduction of the white noise guitar, the super distorted. Oh, it did build super yeah. that's, drum. That's what I meant when I said it. Um, it sort of built a little bit because that's the main. And this is building. And 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 it it, it it is injected into this A section, and it does take me out of what was being built there. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because it becomes much more pervasive in the rest of the song, and it's a single chord being played by a heavily distorted uh, uh, guitar and it's a constant noise. It almost sounds like it's a note being strummed really 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 fast. It, as, yeah. with the effect, it, that's what it's, but it's, yeah. it's as if it was happening throughout the entire track. Which again you I guess that's not terribly uncommon. Again, which is post-rock we're talking about that's almost a definable feature of it. So but I agree in with this you in that case, point. In this case it just became a shh white noise that really because of its of its high volume of the track really really took me out of what was going on really did hinder my ability I can to see listen that. to this song I didn't that have is a, as much problem in this yeah, in this track, it was in the beginning in the beginning I, I just needed to talk about it because it does start here yeah but it became okay. more of a problem for me in the third track in this track it wasn't as much of a problem for me this, it's the kind of thing that I think creeps up on you because yeah. this is the thing I never would have noticed if it didn't get uh 
get get to be so pervasive middle range. But here I thought it actually kind of provided a nice edge. Yeah. It, it it establishes the tension really. That 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 guitar sound is is the is the tension and that's what gets released when I started talking about the B. Right. That's that well, all steps away. Well, that that the, sound is is the plug is pulled on it and everything just becomes such such as uplifting you get the smooth drums a bellowing bass Meanwhile, well the bass really takes lead in this section and it, it does becomes, it creates that more ominous sound that that really rings through the rest of the track where you kind of feel this something well, i looming. think until then in the a the bass had been just repeating the same motif yeah. and then here in the b it actually well it, it took lead it, it became it, to it do something lead, exactly. different yeah and i mean it's also then i mean even later on when we get to around the nine minute mark where the violins come in oh i'm not there yet first of all no, we're I, I about want... the two and a half minute mark right now <laughs> yeah. this is actually a fairly short section it, it just kind of yeah. breaks it up a little bit but it, it introduced some of the most intriguing perhaps the most uh the most original work on this album and what we've done in general because it the use of strings here sort of gliding and fluttering off one another over that bass it was a very very interesting mesh and because of the place it served at this point just releasing that tension mm -hmm. it was really enjoying that but admittedly admittedly we do go back to the a right after this we get no, yeah. we get more of what we got in the beginning and this is where i think john's point starts to to sort of hit home a little yeah. bit and this because is this part, is where the distortion is heavy this is where it, it becomes overly stat uh static filled and it's got glimpses of these great ideas amidst all this clutter that's going on and it's almost like you're you're tuning in and out of stations you hear something on the radio it sounds great and you're immediately start pulling the dial again and it hits that white noise you come into something it sounds great I kind of wish they stayed a little bit more on each idea, each little bit that they're producing. Well, the problem because is... Because no, they're doing great stuff. There's some there's some uh, bass drum comping going on that's just really, really interesting. Well, there's some single guitar work going on that's really interesting. And this is all within that, that A prime? Is, it, yeah, between the about 2.45 and that's, 9 minutes. There's so much going on. That did so go many, on quite a while. So many yeah. ideas in here, but it keeps getting drowned out by the white noise. And I just can't stay in the groove long enough. The, the, the biggest problem here, I think, is the fact that there is so many interesting things going on in the background. It's not a matter of the fact that they're, that they're not really focused on that. It's just that they're, the, the other things they're putting is pulling away from it. It looks like they're working just as hard on both. The problem is that whitewash, that white noise kind of pulls you out of it. Yeah, it really well, does a job of diluting the rest of the instruments. I want to be careful here because this is a song where it can really vary from minute to minute. Uh, it's very important to talk about this in terms of section here. So for instance... That's what, that's what I mean, like I the whole dialing radio. Yeah, and I, I do kind of get that. Uh, but... See, I still think it fits from an artistic standpoint. It's just maybe not from an enjoyment uh, standpoint because it seems like we're, we could... We can... We could be really on with this distortion at times. We could be really off with it as others. Yeah. I, I pointed out that maybe one one instance where it's it's almost universally jarring is when it combines with the crash symbol. It's it's when other certain sounds blend with it. It just seems like someone was was falling asleep at the production board. Yeah, like but, but some, someone there needed to just you know step in and say, guys, maybe we should just think about this one section a little bit differently or pull one instrument out or maybe replace it with something a little lighter, a little airier here because right now I have a block of red <laughs> on no, the screen. Yeah, but and but that's also the thing is, and we've said this 
dozens of times when we have to mention the word i see where they're coming from artistically it it, it also well, is alluding I, to the yeah. fact that we're giving an exception because of art we're versus excuses. the music we're making excuses and well well, well I, I go back and i go back and forth on that because no i know sometimes i think about it in the exact opposite perspective like all right so i didn't enjoy it but i really really get it no and yes it, it's a fine line and that's what i'm trying to say and this band rides that line throughout pretty much the entire record that's it true. teeters between these two things where you go wow that's really interesting but not for me to wow that I really like this, but it's not that interesting. All right, well, then this reinforces my point that I should keep talking about this in, in sections. So, for instance, this A-prime section, one of the issues I had with it was, of course, there's more tension here, and it does not get released in the same way that it did from the first A to B. I was not as much fan of the soloing here uh, that occurred, because it seems like they're sort of meandering around. I At this point, this is, this is in the... The section of the song that immediately precedes uh, four minutes, approximately four fifteen, just just for reference here. Immediately preceding that, there's just some meandering I, I couldn't really grapple with. Like from a from a improvisational standpoint, I'm I'm thinking of alternatives to this or ways in which they could have made this a much smoother transition. But I think that the whole point is to provide just filler here, and I think this was a, a crucial flaw. It is filler to hurry it to the point in which it really goes full force at 4 minutes and 14 well, what seconds. The, what the bummer is, is that it's fill. the beautiful thing is what they're using is filler. Like, this, these great solos that would sound so much nicer if there wasn't a huge chunk of white noise over it, that they're and they're using that as a connecting filler instead of actually focusing on it. And I think that was the problem. Well, also more than that, the the crux point, almost the crucial point of this song where everything starts starts breaking loose was that four minutes and fourteen seconds, which for the hell of it, I'll just call it a C section because it was a rock between uh, the minor one and the major four chord, G minor C C major. I I think this is really the section that we're all talking about uh, that was seriously cluttered. It's something that I that didn't get me immediately though, because as soon as it breaks out, it's sort of this awesome breakdown. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's rock out with this. But you sit with it for a while, and you're right, this does keep it going. Just I think takes until so long. nine minutes. It does. Well, because nine minutes is where the section I want to talk about came in, and that's where <laughs> we get to. Well, because it was just. I like when they. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I like when they focus on certain things without the white noise, or they let they let it breathe and become more airy. And the fact is, in this section leading up to the nine minutes, it just becomes so overly cluttered and drowned. And they don't let the really fine points that I'd say were the best points of the song, whether they are or not, is purely opinion. But to me, the best parts of the song got completely clobbered by this white noise. It's not just the white noise. There's a little bit uh, a little bit too much uh, bass and drum distortion going on here. They're just putting in a lot of extra instruments. Maybe, I don't know, how many band players are there here? How many guys are there? Just playing? five people. Just five? Five. I assume that they're all like five times over multi-instrumentalists. Uh, I, I, again, I need to go back to this word. Distortion. When you have a pedal there, uh, you know, it can sound like it's a whole entire... It's almost like making up for There's for like lack three of... or four guitars like going on. No, no, there's so not. There's really not. Like. I don't think there is. A lot of what you're hearing is 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 the Just violins. Sure. I believe there's two violinists, and I think they're using an effect as well. And that's clashing against the guitar player. 
And then I think the bass also was using distortion. I think it's that combination that, that, that makes it seem as if there's a lot more going on here than there really is. I, if, if you if you just turned down some of these levels, I think I would enjoy this so much better. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I, I do want to say, though, this section is seen in a different way. Like, this is the last point, and then I, I really want to get to the next section because it's by far much more interesting. Uh, it would be kind of a dull chord progression, I think, if it wasn't for those harmonies. And if you do, listen really close, and if you can tune it all out, there's some pretty interesting things going on. There's Sometimes it's dissonant, sometimes it's graceful. It's really an interesting play off these two extremes. you got the violins doing their tremolo. That's, again, another thing that can be distort. You don't even need a... Uh, you rarely need a, an effect or a pedal when you have violins doing tremolo because it's sort of a frank, frantic sound in of itself. Who knows what effect that's going to have once you combine that with a guitar that has its respective distortion. Uh, and then you have the drums. Again, I think crash cymbal might be a problem there, but it's still really impressive drum work. So I'm nearly on... I'm nearly at the point where I want to say that this section is is really up to taste. I think people that like their heavier work will like this. I almost want to say that this section right here, we could break right in immediately with your uh, burn it, buy it, or um, uh, burn it, listen to it, or buy it yes. thing. You could do that right here in this section because there's other parts here where I could I could say from a musical standpoint, all right, that that's just so good. But this, I teeter. I personally teeter back and forth. Um, from second to second. Well, I think this might be one of those albums where we yeah. can't even give it that much of a generalization, but we'll see when we get to the end of it. So let's talk about the last really, really interesting turn in this song. So around the, nine minutes... Well, real quickly, yeah, around nine minutes, you get that, that tremolo that, that has been going nearly... Well, it was more prominent, I think, in the latter half of the, uh, the point preceding these nine minutes. And then it it is the fade-out. It fades, and you get a nice, smooth tra transition where I think it's just drums. Almost, bass and almost drums. solitary. Yeah. yeah, bass and drums. And that is the transition that eventually we drop section D. Right. Where the, the everything is a lot darker. So, the yeah. explosion. So what happens is they bring in violins and, and singing in a much lower, less whiny tone. Yes. And it, these two sounds together create this cooling-off effect that really kind of takes us through the end of the, the track. And it has a sound that was, I don't know I want to say better or worse, but definitely more engaging to me because it was, it was pulling on something that I was looking for. It was using things like uh, the, the earlier heavy acoustic guitar was now become, had become a more punctuated guitar work, uh, much less distortion. Everything was a lot more clear cut. You still had that more pervasive backup guitar going on, but it, it it wasn't it wasn't just drowning anymore. I I was really getting a chance to breathe in this. I was I was getting a fa a chance to to wallow See, in think, this in this darkness that they're building. That's the very interesting thing here. By all intents and purposes, this is a much darker section of the track. Hence wallow. Hence swallowing. But. But it is so much thinner. You can hear individual things, and frankly, there's really more going on. There's 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 more going on from a chordal perspective, but there's less going on from a stack in, instruments and effects until we drown perspective. It it's it really does step away from the previous section, which was the exact opposite. Simple from a chord perspective, but stack instruments until we drown. Um, 
one and four. Again, that was the previous section. One and four. That really is it. It's almost a staple chord pair in terms of let's have this crazy rocked out breakdown. But they just lose, them, lose themselves in it for a long periods of time. This next section, th this D section is, is far more brilliant. It moves us through this whole progression, which eventually does return us to, to G major, which is um, more similar to the... Uh, the release tension effect that we got way back in section B, which was such a release then. So again, we're talking about a really, really long song here because it's been so long since we've been there. Uh, it is, I suppose you could say that you've been through the thick of it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it has a... So there is a well-rounded effect. Well, in, in this case, in the, I don't really see the same release you're talking about. It's more of a breakdown. It's, it's not as abrupt or as satisfying it's more it, it takes longer to fully unfurl what it's doing it's it, it de-evolves instead of transitions and because of that more drawn nature if it felt a little bit drawn to me I, I felt like they could have wrapped it up a little bit quicker to go into that 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 final outro kind of a piece mm, but that's probably true it was significantly more interesting yeah, I felt like the that. cooling off did take a little little long. I mean, I did. It, it, go I, you're right. You don't drop back to the B section like you did from A to B. This is kind of it. It tapers off, and it, it is pretty. It's it's gentle. It really is gentle. It I mean, dies down, but you do eventually get the same tension release. It's just it's a it's a it's a come down. It, it's pulling some. It's pulling something thick and elastic, so so thin until it disappears. Yeah, that that's a pretty good way of putting it. Um, and you know, what? as beautiful as it is, because this thing, I, I think my favorite part of this song really is that, you know, when I'm pulling the B section, I, yeah. I knew it the first time I heard it early in the track, and I know it now. Although, even this, I think, is something that could have used a little bit more variation from a chordal perspective, because I think they were running the same problem of, of being meandering. Uh, the solos were just a little bit off at points. Points where I was, I was trying to dissect the target note here and there it's just eh. and instead of i really being, wanted to like it though instead of being dramatic which is a great way of putting this music is it's very understated passively dramatic yeah here you're getting kind of melodramatic here they're just they're just taking it a little bit too far they're acting it up a little bit too much yeah but um you do have the the outro with the choir chant Tribal um, choir. I don't know how to to put it. Is there a choir here? Yes, I wrote it down. <laughs> he wrote it down. Uh, it must, it must down. be true. It had a great, a, a really, really unusual inflection in the vocal work going on here. Um, problem with this, it still had that kind of sugary, kind of just sweet kind of a feel as as the rest of the song. It was. Is that similar pretty. to the previous? It was pretty, but it wasn't quite beautiful for me. Because it still had that that, That's that kind of at this point no no it still like. had that it still was losing cohesion it was still doing that same de evolution that same breaking apart instead of being cohesive. Well, I do think the the outro kind of uh, kind of crumbled apart, especially considering they returned to the distortion, which yeah. interestingly enough has of course has been present throughout the whole entire thing. Here at the end. That's exactly what they close out on. They they pull the plug on the music entirely, and they just let the feedback, you know, which is a pretty common way to end a rock track, uh, kind almost a 
cliche at this point. You know, just not almost. Just it's a cliche yeah, at this it, point. It really is. You know, let's just let the distortion do the talking. Yeah. But that was almost a little bit uh, obnoxious after this track, which, like, I've had yeah. enough of it. I don't need that alone. But, again, from an artistic standpoint, it is a nice callback. I guess, but it, you're calling back to something that's so obvious. Yeah. Either way, I, I'm very... Uh, uh, by the way, I remember the, the, the chorus you were talking about now. It was the same mantra that was muttered over and over and over. Yeah. It was that, Lord, let my son live long enough to see that mountain torn down. That was that was the line, that that gets repeated for a very very long time. It's still a very soothing section as a whole, but it just felt a little bit rambly. Yeah. So I think my 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 final word on this on this track is that it's not for everyone. I think I think if if you can sit in this for a while, yeah, it's probably your thing. I think we've kind of made that very clear at this yeah. point. Speaking to clarity, actually, my clear favorite, I think, on the whole record. At least in points, if not the whole song, is the next track. Take Away These Early Grave Blues features an opening, I don't want to say monologue, it's only a couple of lines, of a British girl talking about... Uh, I mean, it's kind of really hard to follow a lot of the stuff that they're putting, these, these intros, and they seem kind of plucked out of thin air. But she's actually talking about this kind of devastation in her hometown, or where she's from, and her life, and this, this kind of thing that's happening. You got all that? I got some. I got some of that, so I'm gonna agree. All right, yeah, yeah. But whatever. But the song, so it already. It, I mean, it, it has a very strong intro that starts with a with a great drum section. This is where you really get to get a full sense of how good their drummer is, because in the other songs, it's been kind of layered and overlayered, and you couldn't really hear it clearly. No, he's getting a nice little little solo intro here. I like that. Well, that was not really the intro. Intro. I mean, apart from the girl, the real intro is the sort of. Uh, Minor ten- pentatonic, it's sort of eastern sounding, uh, with the string. It, it, it's a very, it's very new for the album, I think. Uh, it's not something we've had so far, and it actually is a motif that is very, very well utilized throughout this entire track, and you get that right there, right up front, and it's gonna return in in a very, very big way. I I rather enjoyed that, and then it goes into yeah, you get distortion, but you know, again, we're kind of used to that at this point. The, uh, the drums really, really setting the tone. And then the yeah. bass, once again, paralleling it, comping it. Yes. Which I think the two of them working in tandem do a hell of a job of, of creating uh, a great me- uh, me- uh, rhythm. And even to some extent, the actual melody is them. The melody, it, it's, it's a lot of repeating the very line of the song uh, take away these early but, grave blues but but, but they loop and layer and those resta- lyrics yeah, it's, it's yes. stated and restated on top of the drums I love that, that, that really high energy that it brings to it and the first thing that comes to mind is I want to see the movie the anime that this is based on because there's a lot of <laughs> energy here you didn't get in the other songs a lot of energy very fresh very refreshing because of that it was the closest that we got also to like a more positive feeling in the beginning of a track. I mean, it, it wasn't... It, it wasn't even close to... It was positive. It just wasn't... It was and definitely wasn't overwhelmingly depressing like a lot of the other tracks had sounded. Just really? Despite the, the, the title? <laughs> well, title aside, like I said, you can't always judge a song by its title. And the title, yes, does seem very depressing. But the song, at least in the beginning, did not convey the same kind of overwhelmingly depressing nature. No, you're, you're probably true. I mean, but you still, I don't know. I'm, I ba- I'm back and forth on that. Because then again, I did feel like there was a lot of underlying anger in in, uh, in the return of, of the A section. 
because it's sort of broken up. I think that that eastern sounding minor pentatonic string effect is used as as a transition here. It breaks up sections, um, and it's also broken up within the sections. And and again, that's why I said it was well utilized because that that single motif is is unpacked and then repacked in a really big way, and but in it in its in its pure original uh form it gets used as a transition but then when we go back to a uh i think i think it was actually filled with quite a bit of anger which i think does fit the title so I, positive I maybe say, later I, I i we've talked about this before anger is not necessarily a negative emotion because of the levels of uh the, the faster pace that they're setting here the heavier reliance on the percussion side of things it may be angry, but it's not a negative kind of anger going on here. Not yet. That it's not does negative, happen. not as in, like, dark as we had in the previous track, but, um... But we're not getting depression, we're not getting melancholy. There's just too much energy here for that. That's true. But I, I, you know what, I think another reason is uh, the introduction of the trumpets. Yeah. We get that a lot more here than we did in the previous track. The previous track was very, uh, very string-oriented. And here, the trumpets step in, and it, it gives it this very Mediterranean feel, almost. Actually, one band that came to mind was Beirut. Okay. If any of you know Beirut, Beirut, well, I mean, they're all about uh, sort of Mediterranean-sounding instruments, or Baltic-sounding instruments. Uh, they're like Baltic Baroque, but it... it and that's almost what I get out of this. The, the utilization of, of brass here is, is very, very important. And I think we get that in the B section as well, which is a little bit more frantic. Uh, but this time, we're joined in with, with the vocalists. Uh, I believe this was a whole separate verse. Yeah, well, the B section comes in around 240 or so. This is one of the shorter tracks. It was uh, six minutes or so long. <laughs> shorter well, tracks. When the B section comes in, though, it has also it's followed up with this great building pretty much mainstream mainlined by the drums and the bass that give this kind of build that eventually uh climaxes towards the end of the song yeah, that was and, the one that sort of uh uh went back and forth between d minor and f major and i think i do agree that that, that section had some had some joy in it these sort yeah. of intermittent spurts of joy and this really became for me the most varied song because of this this is where i really feel like we're in in, in the first two tracks, they like to sit on something here. They're sitting on their main idea, he but they're trying to expand it in a, uh, in a broader variety of ways. And I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying it immensely. But it does start repeating itself. And because of that, it, it starts getting a little repetitive for me. See, I disagree only because... Because it repeats itself, it gets repetitive. No, but the repeating <laughs> is one thing. Repetitive is another. Again, no, though, I... understand I... what you're saying. I'm going to try to flush this out in a, in, a, in a coherent fashion. This is a shorter track, yes. But I believe it's more of a theme and variation type thing. Where the theme really revolves around that take away these early gray blues. And a lot of it is the, that repeating mantra. But each, and, each time they return to the uh to that section they reinvent something they reinvent some aspect of the instrumentation you know take out one instrument replace it with another or this time we'll say it soft this time we'll say it loud it kind of makes it it keeps it a little bit interesting but in the same token you also have to remember yes there's still 
at its core, they're still repeating the same thing over and over again. So it's sort of a give and take. It's it's, it's almost the opposite, again, of the previous track or what we got in, in the first and second, where certain things would be dragging, but at the same time, you know that, that there's, the section, so, much like, going there's on. so much going on and it ends in a very different place than it began. It's, it's really a, it's a story. It is not, first and second track are not themes and variations. They are much more than that. They have section. they are broken up in sections. And I guess for me, I think the reason that it didn't get so repetitive as John felt was because I wasn't really focusing on the lyrics at all. They were pretty much background. Fo- no, no, I wasn't focusing on But them. still, the thing that I was focusing on, focusing on that kept it interesting and new for me was the drums. The drums took much more of a forefront in this track, and I was able to focus on the variation of the drums that kept me going through the song, and I never once felt it was repetitive because of that. But again, it was where my focus lied and what I was enjoying, I think, is, and that's a lot of this album, is where your focus falls will determine how much you enjoy it or what you enjoy about it. Well, that's a great point, because towards the end of the song, one of the things that really actually brought it back up for me and almost almost made it my favorite song... The slower drums. The slower drums. The staggered and drum those, beat. Yeah. And those flighty, flighty but attitude-filled uh, high string work. That gets thrown on top of everything, yeah. which really does a great job of, of really presenting something new for this song, and and just doing doing pretty pretty things here. <laughs> Very there's it's so hard to describe. No, that's this the thing. I, there there are it's certain sections beautiful. here where I do think you just have to zone out to it for a while, and yeah. and whether it's your, your thing, well, good good great bully for you. If it's not, eh, just put it down for a while. Try it again later. I think again, this is what. This is why I still call it, at the end of the day, I still call it somewhat of a mature work. Despite the sections that sometimes feel a little rambly, I, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of forward thinking in their work. I don't forward th- thinking in the album. I don't think there's a sense of immaturity throughout the entire record. I, I agree. I think it's a very mature record and it comes across, even in yeah. the scatteredness. Um, and that slow beauty really leads us into the next track. Uh, yes. But the outro... He likes that outro. No, I don't. I don't like this outro. The outro is extremely disappointing, and that's what kept it from being my favorite track. What? It was abrupt. It was extremely abrupt. And I don't really like the way they ended the song. Yeah, and might. that, it was jarring for me. I might disagree with you on that. I, I, got, think, I, I think the, sl- the slow drums... Disagree. No, well, you that agreed was with, the outro. You agreed with me while we were listening. You looked at me, nodded your head, and said, yes, that's right. I thought you agreed with me just now. See, it's just tricky with this song. It's really tricky to, to hone oh, down man. the sections. There's so many things going on here. And We're not always on the same page. Yeah. No. And it's th- tricky. Although I feel like we are on track four. Track four is called Little Ones Run. This is the shortest track on the record. It's only two and a half minutes or so. Um, and This I'm, is evergreen. It's kind of impossible to... to be all not on the same page here so this song and, first of all just to interject here john keeps mentioned this uh this is evergreen here it's a little callback to episode 67 where we reviewed scale the summits uh the migration which was basically the one short straightforward sweet punchy track in the middle of an otherwise busy epic and this kind of does serve the same purpose this really is that evergreen so this song is almost more emotional than most of the other tracks. Even though it's short, it engages you quite quickly, and it's very heart-wrenching, horribly depressing and sad. Um, But really what sells it for me is there's a piano being played in this track, but the focus of the piano is pulled to this one A note that's accenting 
almost every section. You know, it's funny because you see that as the focus. I, I find it, I see it as somewhat of an aside, but it's still very pointed. And this is really, really funny when we're, you know, we're struggling to describe previous tracks and all the different sections, all the different instruments. Here we're almost struggling to describe individual notes. Yeah. Um, because by comparison, this is such a thin track. The piano is not just a played piano yes there's a person sitting in front of it but also i think they got the, I, I don't know whether it's an upright or a grand or whatever but they got the top open and they are using uh what they call prepared piano from a uh contemporary classical standpoint which is really just plucking it it's actually using it as a plucked instrument which is very easy to do it's just strings you just reach over and if you know which string to go for then pluck it and it's using that combined with a person who's actually playing and it gives it, it's giving this one instrument the, this varied texture, which makes it seem so diverse. Even it's, though it's, it's, it's slow, steady, like uh, four, 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 pretty much, just playing right there on the quarter note. Very slow, very deliberate. And the, the level of complexity really steps in when you're talking about the vocalists, the, the two female singers. The Ooh, harmonies harmonize and, so no, no, beautifully. Not just the harmonies, but the disharmonies they purposely do. The times when they're actually singing on different keys, when they're really competing for your attention, but in just a sweet, almost sultry kind of a way. Well, they sing in what they call a tessitura, which is sort of a, 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 a comfortable vocal range for everyone and they sing right in the middle range they're both there they're both in that same range and that's why they sometimes clash against one another and it makes it very very surreal when they do that's how you get that dissonance it's just between the two vocalists and that works really well off the off the piano which is already present and now i will go back to matt that note that you love which i think is why you're honing in on it and it's it's the one note on the piano that is really out of that low range it's the one that's way up at the high i think it's a high a and once you combine that note against everybody else who's stuck in this low to middle range it, it you really have the full breadth of the spectrum there and it it it's amazing for how how short in this is this 240, track 240 i think 240 something like that it, for me the reason I keep calling it back Evergreen, this is like Evergreen from Scale the Summit. Uh, it is my favorite track. This is the one that's just a heart-wrenching glimpse of beauty. It's that moment of beauty that is put in a elongated song form that I just love. I mean, I have to admit that because in all of the other tracks they use all this heavy distortion, in a moment where they actually take a step from, back from it and do a nice short, sweet track where they don't use it, they, they come... They, convey so much beauty in such a short amount of time yeah. and i feel like that's what we were struggling to find in the other tracks we were finding moments of true beauty true. but they were being buried by all the uh, other uh, stuff uh, on that same token though i i want to say almost that the fact that we were hovering around the loud 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 build 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 department in these earlier tracks really made this release so sweet you know you walk a strange line with that i'm not saying that's impossible to you know write earlier tracks that had a little bit more ebbs and flows um but from a volume standpoint because i think really that's the main problem we have yeah. here we're not even really arguing uh anything else except just loudness and production value but for those earlier tracks but i still think that if they serve one purpose it makes this this moment so profound yeah but you know i mean i i, I suppose it's a, it's a context. To, to it's it, a context catch twenty two. Right to make it so lame that 
a ton of bad to make the one good seem better. Yeah. I don't know, and I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that's the kind of most layman way to put it. Doesn't necessarily make the whole thing good just because that, they're building to that. It also you know? doesn't speak well to what they're they may be going for. If that was purposely done, if if the cacophony, I'm sure it was purposely done though. I but know. I don't know if the that... cacophony of contradictions that they're putting in this earlier music, these earlier tracks, the back and forth, the lots of loud, was specifically just to make that one song good. Or better? Well, that's not. See, you're, you're a, little, a little more narrowly. Narrowly than I see. No, I don't think I they're doing it. that. They're. I don't. Don't think they're doing okay. that. Okay. And if that's what they were going for, that doesn't speak well to the art. I can't see them going for that because there's a lot of art here. No, I agree. I agree, and that's not really why. That's not really what I meant. But I do think it's. It. It would be a side point. It would be a. It's sort of a stage presence kind of thing. A. A build, build, build. Really, really time your release but it's just one element it's one element and frankly we're, we're being a little bit harsh here because the two opening tracks as we've already mentioned the three opening tracks excuse me really did have their ups and downs um they just had certain sections with we, which we take uh issues with and have discrepancies uh but i do want to say one more thing about this track aside from the very sweet melody that that basically persists and we all just, just pretty much swoon over there is a little bit of variation toward the end where i think we do get an introduced instrument i believe it was it sounded almost like a cello or an upright uh bass although for all i know it could have been like a bowed piano string because they seem crazy enough to do that um maybe but it's it a harp i doubt like a that. really messed up harp that. I doubt that. <laughs> Although I think um, I was look, I was really looking at the instruments uh, that were present on this album, and I didn't see anything else outside of that. So, I, I I think there might have been an upright bass. So I'm gonna assume that primarily. Either way, it was it's a little bit of more depth that came at the very very end here, and I think it functioned uh, as a good transition because you add a little bit more low range than you should get. Again, you're mainly in the mid range here, and that provided a little bit more breadth at the bottom end uh, also you're joined by the primary male vocalist at that point only at the tail end of this yeah. very short track so yeah what can i say it's a it's a very ethereal song yes i that's i think a great way to wrap up um and it's well, funny i have one quote also from this track that i was able to to gather it was they gather up what's left to save leave the rest and fly away I believe the whole entire song is about the nature of birds. I could see that. I could see I that. I could easily see that. Yeah. There you are. Um, moving on to track five. What we loved is not enough. So now we get into another longer track before the closing track, which is track six, which is also on the shorter side. So track five, from the moment it starts more or less, you get this kind of sweeping, almost vast, breathy nature that really wasn't I mean I guess there was a little bit of breathiness in some of the other songs but this is where you really feel like this is more of an open field that we're walking into and and it quickly goes into a meter that's more or less a waltz Steve had pointed out yes and it's, I have some I have some waltz. comments about that opening section though that there's again more texture here really really interesting uh, different than anything we've had the guitar pacing was probably the most uh, telling part of this because 
really they were letting it stand out on its own. I was a lot in more. more on the strings actually. The strings it was it was before the strings were really even in the song. They let the guitar start it to really set the pacing and not be used as a rift machine. Was it? Actually... This this was really early on as I'm thinking. This is, <coughs> I'm talking about a single thing. The the glissando the, the the slide that just goes between two notes A and B very soft and I think this is that that open air feeling that you were talking about Matt it's just from one note slides up and then slides back down mm-hmm. I think it's just from A to B I think later in the track it slides up to D and then back to A then down mm-hmm. to B A then up to B and it's just sort of this little cycle uh, that is, is different because we haven't had a slide in here so far. Again, I, w- I really love when they play around with texture. I, that's what I love most when you uh, look at an album from first track to last. That's I didn't even hone in on that. I, I noticed it. Those the, the sweeps they were throwing in the strings did did a lot to add texture, but it was it was I felt like they were really treating the, the guitar differently. That's like what I really honed in on. They finally were making it a classic rock style guitar. The, the the whole nature of how it's being played felt so different. That's something I didn't pick up on necessarily. Me neither. I mean, I did like though that something that was even continuing to be different about this track is it it did still go through it changes, but the changes weren't as vast as other longer tracks. All the other longer tracks had gone through all of these very meticulous changes, whereas this track felt much more concise and theme throughout it didn't really seem to jump around as much as the other tracks had and that waltz feel kind of followed through the whole thing it's and, true. and that's where i found things to actually be going awry for me because when they start to build upon this initial a section it 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 really is more startling than anything else i feel like they may have skipped a few steps in in their first major build uh leading up to to the crescendo that it, it goes to I, it, it drew me out, and I never really recovered after that. You know, I have a feeling we're going to be going back and forth in this track in a very similar way that we did with the first two. Um, so this is really going to be a point of citing the positives, citing the negatives. I, I'm more along the lines with Matt here. I think, I think this was a much more cohesive product to me um, in general. Uh, I want to say that maybe something was needed between... That opening A section and the and and when the distortion returns in section B again, it's all about filling in the space uh, that sometimes it fills in the space with distortion, or how are you going to fill in the space between two different uh, it iterations of distortion? That's very bizarre to think of a song that way, where where distortion is your is your signifier, your ah yes part A, but it kind of is the most um it's the most obtrusive. Uh, feature about this but yes it is a waltz in general and to be honest it's a round it's kind of a round it's, it's very more of a, very close to a round i saw it as more of like a a, a nice six four wall and well waltz would be more three but you know when you bump up to six it's not really that big a deal it still has kind of a ballad feel to it yeah and i think it's, it's kind of tricky to say but i want to i i'm on just consider the opening line. What we loved was not enough. It's almost like that's all you need. Yeah. You say that line, so I don't need as much variation throughout this, although it does vary. Once you say that, what we loved was not enough, and you can hear the way he says that, 
he's almost not so much singing it as it's just spoken word again. It's just what we loved was not enough. It's and that's matter it. of he, fact. It's yeah. matter of fact. Exactly. Perfect. That That is this track. And I think a waltz is a pretty good way to, to flush that idea out. I think it's the, almost a hypnotic, you know, picture like zombies waltzing or something yeah, like that. No, I, I can totally see that. And I think thematically it, it's kind of a solid thought. I feel like it doesn't get boring. It just kind of, it moves through almost zombie-esque. It's just kind of moving through the motions. Yeah, which but, I was okay after, after what we've had so far. Me too. But you spoke to something in track three, take away these early grave blues how the the sectional the 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 beast section of revisiting 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 was was something that that kind of hurt it for you and in here the revisiting the revisitations of that a section because it really does get kind of pervasive and it it does become an aspect of every every single chordal progression in the song it's it's present there and it just became too wearing on me I do like the the more simplified earnest sections, but there's there's just too much similarity that it really did get to be just just droning after a little while. It was it just felt I don't know maybe I think the, adjectives here are failing me because you know, I no, want to no, use no, words no. like wobbly. I want to use words like like just falling apart or or things like that and these aren't really accurate but there's just something ineffable here that doesn't quite fit for me well i'll try to uh, flush out the ineffable that that does fit for me it, speaking to one of your points here um you did mention that i compared this i mean you're comparing this to track three or to the way i saw track three and how that unchanging nature was a bit of a bit of a minus point uh i think it has to do with the fact that the chordal movement here was a lot more complex i think they were doing more with this basic idea so as you're moving throughout throughout this this waltz here you can feel yourself on the ballroom on the ballroom floor and you're moving from one side to the next it's not just this static thing it's static in the basic idea that what we loved was not enough. You always feel that lingering overhead, which that's not a bad thing. That's the theme. All right, fine. But the actual, the actual development of this track is very, very, uh, I, I think, engaging. And I think that's where we're actually arguing from opposite sides because in this case, I think for me, the idea, the simple idea in takeaway was more engaging so i did not mind they were doing less exploration of it yeah I'm i enjoyed that progression more and the way they just didn't really change it as much or as complicated but it was to me just something i liked more okay you know and i have a reason for that also because that's um I had st I had more to look at here i think more than the stuff we've been familiar with i, I i've already kind of honed in and, and, and explained what the primary features of this band's repertoire that I really like are. One of those was the brass. We get so much brass here. The brass oh, harmonies this... are beautiful, and they carry it along to me. I just they carry they carry me along with the song. I feel whisked away. I think that I'm I'm in agreement with Steve on this. I feel like that you're really taken along and pulled along with this, and I don't feel that. I feel like the 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 clutter and the 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 clutter and repetitiveness of the th third track 
was hit or miss, whereas here, I I had already accepted the overall theme from the minute the first minute. So it going on for a little longer, I was okay with because I wanted to go along for the ride. And there's this is, there's this... also points later I want to point out where where that that waltz feel that that Mediterranean waltz feel feels very grand. It yeah. like, it steps up from just this this piddling little affair to a grand ballroom kind of thing. Uh, that's it. it in, very interestingly, that's where the distortion was very heavy, and in this particular case, it did not hurt it at all. No. It actually, it 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 made it seem about as epic as they had presented it. And that's where I'm gonna say I love the simplistic side of this song, the 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 actual broken apart bits, because they felt the most earnest and it felt the most devastating. It's where you actually. Oh, when everything... That's where I felt the most. Lost when everything gets unplugged and where we go everything back down was very not soft. enough. There yeah. is it, it's distinctly low ends in the beginning, the middle, and end. It, I, it I remember that. that. I remember one and was about those it at three six minutes, sections, and one was about at nine minutes. Those three sections are really the most guttural and visceral parts of the song for me. I and agree that, because that's also when you can hear the brass very, very crisp. Yeah, and, and that that is is the part of the song I. Th- thoroughly love and it's the building and the reinvention and the expansion that i i just cannot enjoy i just i wish i could because it is a louder point it's so it's cool i just don't enjoy it i'll agree with you on just one point i think those louder sections could have really benefited from some dynamics probably but i think at this point it's clearly a, a uh a taste issue. A taste issue, yeah. Um, I kind of wanted more but, of Little One's Run. And no, I didn't. I disagree. Well, no, that kind of simplified s- s- sadness. No, I think any, I anything, in a, anything in a long form following that track would not have lived up. Yeah, I agree. But this it's funny a- that you mentioned Grand Ballroom before, because that actually takes us into our fifth track. That Grand Ballroom sound... The, the title of... I'll just talk about the the transition per, per, because it's important in leading right. us to that. And that's... Uh, the outro was, again, we return to a choir. It's the two female vo- vocalists, which just... That waltz sort of tapers off again. And first of all, there's a little... First, there's a little bit of overlap where the vocalists are, are stepping in there with their, again, their gorgeous harmonies. The resonance is just so crisp. And slowly, it boils down to the point where they're the only thing remaining. Yeah. And that is what... Just a few more seconds of that, just hearing the female vocalist alone, which, again, more varied texture for the album. Haven't heard that yet. That's exactly... That's a perfect way to end. I think it was one of the best outros in the entire album. It was definitely one of my favorites as well. It does lead into... Rains through the roof at the Grand Ballroom. <laughs> it's funny I said. It's funny I said Grand Ballroom before, and I wasn't even thinking about this track title. Because right, and that's that was just something that came. But to that's mind. what's so brilliant about the art is that you got that Grand Ballroom feel, and yeah. then the next track is actually about that. And sort of. The, the introduction is. I just thought of this now. Unbelievable. <laughs> the, the the introduction is so theatrical. Yeah. This is really got a lot of that that coloration that you would think of a stage producing. So this is another shorter track. The conclusionary track is only a little over three minutes, I think. Um, and, and this is a song where the, you notice something very interesting from the very beginning. You hear a kettle drum, but it's not played in a typical style. Typically, kettle drums you hear are very Caribbean or very upbeat, but in this, it's kind being... Kind of Kenny. 
yeah, in this, it's drawn out and spaced enough that it actually gives this kind of sad, melancholy feel. This kind of drone for a kettle drum, which is, is very unique. And not something you hear commonly when a kettle drum is introduced. Instead of being tinny and, and exuberant, it actually feels hollow. Which yeah. is a good yes. way of actually setting the stage for what this is doing. This The theatrical introduction, it, it makes use of a couple of new ideas, once again. Uh, we've got choir synth, I guess is the way we kind of used it. A high-end synth uh, that was really, that, that was kind of replicating those high-end, uh, what, falsetto? Falsetto, yeah. Falsetto vocal work that you get in classical choirs. It is. At the same time, it's very, very pitchy. It, it doesn't really sound human at all. And yeah. that's why we just put the word synth on here, because we don't, we're not even hearing a guitar. It's just but these the tone's a little bit off. It's an effect. I mean, the 21st century. But this, <laughs> this, this is something, another new introduction here, another new little segment that they're throwing in here, and it, it does a, it, it's got a great dichotomy going on with this drum. Yes, and also the thing is, those sounds together really give another kind of ominous sound that we've gotten earlier in the album, but this time delivered a little differently. But you still get this kind of ominous, looming feel from these two sounds together. And there are things that are added even later that, that, I say even later, but it's a fairly short track, there are things that are added later that really kind of enhance that. I mean, we were talking before about that accented key, that A, high A note that I really liked here, there's almost no piano at all, except yeah. for a single key being played for accent, which is with the kettle drum and that distortion synth, whatever it was, really enforces that ominous feeling, this this strange place that this track is going. Yeah, it's, no, it sounded like a kettle drum, but it may very well have just been a variety of tom-tom. It yeah, could be, you know. too. But it's still got that sound, you know? Yeah. And and it's it's really that piano, it felt like... They were hyphenating the music, I guess is a way to put it, or or throwing commas in there. I mean, it felt like a piece of of grammar. Or throwing in That's accents. No, 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 no. It didn't feel like just a standard accent. I'm not. He's I'm coming not up with metaphors for things it that there are existing words, words for. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It doesn't accent the music all the time. That's the whole thing. Sometimes it uses it. It's used to. To break up the actual flow of one of the other instruments. I understand what you're saying. It 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 does it. Not just to comp, but also to to be a little bit uh, uh, discorded with the actual music, and it's very, very. I, I I can't put it any other way, but intelligent placing of those notes. It's just really freaking smart the way they threw them in there, mm. the way they placed them, very methodical. There was a very intelligent design to this last song for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you were doing good there. I, I thought I'd uh, thought I'd take a little load off. <sighs> you know, there's very little I have to say about this track because it kind of is just the period at the end of the sentence. To be perfectly honest, I, I'd really tried to to come up with something for this, but it's it's not so it's not filled out like many of the other tracks are. It it really it, it's clearly just a closer. Even from the beginning, you get that impression. It's not like it's trying to to go off into yet another epic on the on the way out it it almost serves the same exact purpose as uh as um uh, little ones run did yeah i i can definitely see that too yeah and it does have it does have one thing which i don't know how to describe it but the terrifying ending truly a disconcerting ending to this song 
in the last the few in, in the last few notes. <laughs> Maybe I'm I, I'm disenchanted with that because that's just so that's coming from a person who knows the band. That's that's just so typical what they do. Again, well, mel- we melancholy. Don't know the band. Oh right, fine. <laughs> but melancholy is is sort of across the board with what they do. Um, not always, but especially when I consider some elements of this album, uh, such as that previous track, what we loved was not enough. The the positive waltz feel there is actually kind of more in the that's that's odd for them to be so positive so then when i hear them being negative i'm just like okay well it's back to good old-fashioned debbie down mount zion yeah oh i'm sorry that the good old-fashioned was a really great closer to a pretty damn good album i'm sorry that you couldn't get the full feel because you already like them is, is this sarcasm? Yeah, it's, it's sarcasm. It, 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 he was I'm almost being you. incredulous. That's usually my job. I was, I was borderline incredulous. You were? Border. Yeah. I haven't done that in like 20 episodes, so you like, know. Like 20 of them? Yeah. Okay, well, now you can start counting over. <laughs> that was incredulous. Yeah. It was, I, for as much as the, the, the introduction did introduce the album... This finale finalized it. It did. It does have a very complete feel. Um, do you have anything? Anybody have anything more to add, or am I going into the wrap up? I think we're ready. Yeah, okay. go for it. Well, this is thinking music. We keep using it is mature music, mature music. No, you. It's, it's even further than that. You gotta really delve in the, into the intelligence in this. You have to try to pick it apart. Because there's such great little gems in here. Even the songs or pieces. Is pieces appropriate in some of these cases, Steve? You know, it has the effect of a piece, but... The, the, it's still a song. They, they sing in, in yeah. each one. These so. mostly songs. Uh, there's so much going on here that there will be bad. Because there's just so much they're trying to do. I don't feel like it can all be good with this this sort of a of a, a attack on music it's it's got real substance to it and some of the parts that really are the most simplistic like the the softer parts of what we loved and little ones run really are my favorite aspects of this song of of this album it's that heavy use of distortion in some parts that that white noise guitar we we explained that I just takes a sour note for pieces. It 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 can be a little abrasive. It's some of the mixing, as Steve has said, as we've mentioned, the volume gets to be a little bit too high on some instruments. Maybe they should have cut out a little bit here and there. But there's it, they're really really good at making music. That's that's really what it comes down to in the end. They're really good. They're damn good. There's a lot of quality here. There's a lot of interesting ideas. We couldn't talk six tracks for two hours unless there was a lot to talk about. Um, and and we were, I was trying to come up with a metaphor. I was having a really hard time coming up with a metaphor. I, I got a metaphor for you, but you'll have to wait until Matt's done. Uh, my metaphor was if this was turned into a physical object, if this was a physical art, it would be just gossamer and, stra- and starlight it would be gorgeous but really hard to hold hard to to manipulate because you look at it from the wrong way or you approach it at the wrong angle you'll destroy it you will not get it no possible way 
that's a little bit of a negative, but it's also pretty positive because it also means you're going to think. I like that. I like smarts required. <laughs> it's a four. It's a really, really good album. I just wish it had more sectional skipping parts, maybe. That might that might have been the thing. Maybe the long 14-minute songs could have been separated movements. You need TiVo with these songs. It might have helped. <laughs> it probably would help. Let's be frank. It probably would help. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, we didn't all see eye to eye on the track-by-track track breakdown, but no, I feel like we're all in the same range as far as the overall goes. Um I find that for me this is a case of Paper Chase again, and I've mentioned them a few times today, because although I did enjoy this more than I enjoyed, finger quotes, Paper Chase, it wasn't as off-putting as Paper Chase was. But what I mean is it's not particularly my taste. There are moments of my taste that really hook me throughout the record. But overall, there were a lot of moments where I was just like, well, if I wasn't drowning in distortion, I would probably enjoy this a lot more. It's not really a record that I think I would go back to. That said, distortion and all and possible flaws in production, the talent is undeniable. Especially their drummer for me is where I really focus. Their drummer and the female singers really were, were some of the most highlighted moments for me. And there's enough of a smattering of that throughout the entire album to keep me engaged and to keep me going. But, I mean, hands down, as far as beauty goes, track four, Little Ones Run, is just, it's a gorgeous, heart-wrenching song that, that I, if I don't recommend the whole record, I would definitely recommend that song for sure. Um, you know, there's, there's a talent. I, John was looking for metaphor before, and I kind of just, I feel this album is very poignant, yet pointless. And what I mean by that is there are so many important points that I think are really relevant to the future of music as a whole. Overall, the album in, in an education and an exercise has moments of pointlessness. It's just because the, the lyrics kind of fall off or the singing kind of taper off, tapers off or the execution of some of the songs kind of falls short. Um... You know, and that's what's really going to hurt it for me. But that said, I mean, they still clearly have probably more talent in their elbow than some of the entire albums and bands we've reviewed before on this show. Um, so I think I'm in the exact same place for John. I think that it's a four. I don't know that I'd go back and listen to it that much, but there are definitely moments that I would like to keep and pluck and, 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 and listen to again. And definitely track four will be something that I would probably go back to and listen because it was absolutely beautiful. Hmm. Hmm? Well, working with long forms is a very tricky thing. And I hate being the stickler in this area because I think patience should be encouraged in music, as opposed to baiting jackdaws with shiny things. But there's a spectrum here, same with everything. In every spectrum, there are extremes. Too hot, too cold. Well, here it's too fleeting, too lengthy. And air, temperature isn't just the perfect analogy because it's another spectrum. You've got Goldilocks ranges within that that compare just as well. Between certain degrees of temperature, you can actually live. And only in a certain time frame can a song be both perceptible to the human ear and be over before you have to get to bed. Eat, sleep, work, whatever. Our lives are finite, our art has to be too. But let's be kind. I love living in New York City. Why? Because amongst other reasons, even in the years it might not seem it, <coughs> this one, we get four seasons. I love feeling the weather ebb and flow on a primal level. It's invigorating. I could never live in a place with a year-round 70 degrees. I know people who could, but that's just not me. I 
favor the cold weather. Often the really cold weather because that's when I feel inspired. I feel motivated because I think there's a certain majesty in the stillness, the painting in every snowfall, whatever. So there's something compelling about the ass-end extremes of life. And now that my analogy is, is apparent, I know that this is a long way to go just to defend a song just because it's over 10 minutes. But I make this plea to all listeners who want to expand their horizons, because for many, true immersion is an unplucked fruit waiting to be savored. Unless it has worms in it. It's a 4-2. Four 4-2, two. Four two. okay. No, it's a 4, four as oh, well. Oh, 4 as no, well. No, no, because you usually throw in random... Like, Points, so... I wouldn't be surprised if we one day get a 3.3 3 with a line over it from you. <laughs> as in a literal one I I, I um, confess to having considered it. Um, okay, <laughs> so 4 across the board. We haven't actually yeah. been in that, that way for a while. I mean... But yeah, when I say there we were worms in this unplucked fruit, it's really kind of on a, it's it's on a taste by taste basis. Absolutely. Uh, there are I do think that on a these guys are are pros, absolute pros at the long form compositional process, and I think that that um, it's just tough. It's really really tough to to compose something so unified front to back. And I think the album in itself really is unified. I think it's just certain sections that could have used some variety. Where they choose to sit and stay for a while is kind of up to them, and it goes back on forth in me. There have been moments in this album where I loved it. I said, bring it on, give me more of it. And there have been moments where I'm like, all right, all right come on, ne next thing. I think it... it in the long run, it's actually very easy for me to sum up this. This is definitely a listen to it. I don't know that I'd recommend running out to buy it, but but I think everyone who listens to wide varieties of music would find something they might like here, because there's a little bit of many different things here. So I think it's definitely worth giving it a listen, find it on Spotify, and check it out. Um, it's funny, we try and link our topics to our our album reviews as much as possible, but actually... This is one of the first topics that came up kind of by accident. It, you know what it relates to? Matt, it relates to my intro. Yes. Monday, Monday. Uh, yeah. So Storm, Storm stumbled over this one. So Literally. We were talking about Happy Birthday and how you can't, because it's Steve's birthday, and you can't actually sing Happy Birthday on air without paying the person who actually wrote Happy Birthday. Oh, That's oh, why yeah. Applebee's restaurants, or the like, they do the clapping, do, they do varieties and the song very, very and the rhythm. From me. Just um, so it can fall under the realm of a cover. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, um, looking at that, it really brought up the kind of thing we'd want to talk about with public domain and copyright and copyright infringement and all of that kind of stuff. Um, how the idea that stuff like Beethoven anyone can sample and use because it's public domain. It's been around so long, no one owns the rights to it. Um, where something like Happy Birthday, where clearly it's not public domain, you could Which get... Which is bizarre, because you'd think that's something that was... That's the definition of public domain. I mean, it's, but, it's, it's ubiquitous. That is completely ubiquitous. Everyone knows it. But, this is why it's bizarre that I learned only today from, <laughs> from yours truly that it really was only utilized as a happy birthday song in about You're... 1935 which is about 10 years after the date where where um everything, uh, everything previous was public. public domain precisely and it's just kind of interesting that you if you want that well i mean that's probably why like with the, even the beatles when they sang they made their song happy birthday it had to be different it they couldn't be birthday yeah it be, because they didn't want to have to pay for it. Although we did discover the origin of the song, and that it was originally a, a, a teacher's song to like a kindergarten class, which was "Good morning to you, to good morning to you, good morning to you, good morning, dear children, good morning to you." 
And that was actually what it was written in back in, like, 1898. So if you sing that, then you're under public domain. Yes. Kind of um, weird. The interesting thing about public domain and copyright, though, is, I mean, a lot of artists, you know, it doesn't stop them. If they want to do a cover or do sample something, they'll pay whoever has to get paid to get the rights to it. I had a run-in with an artist who actually did something unique with, with his sampling. So Adam Warrock is someone I've mentioned on the podcast a few times recently released a Doctor Who themed EP where he did eight or I think eight songs, eight raps, if you will, about Doctor Who. One of the songs called Guess Who, one of the remixes, he actually features the Doctor Who theme. But because the whole EP was free, there was no worry of rights or sampling because he released that, like a lot of other songs that he sampled, for free on the internet. So you can get it, listen to it, his art's getting out there. But he doesn't have to pay anything because he's not charging anything. That is one way to get around the whole idea of copywritten material and everything like that. It is the easiest, it, not the easiest, it is the safest way. Don't charge any money. Make sure that it actually is free. Yeah. And you won't have to worry about a lot of the issues that, uh, that occur with infringement. But I, I got a question, and this is this is... Just to, to really kick off the topic, how do you actually enforce copyrights? How do you actually enforce private domain? Because once somebody has read a book, has listened to a song, they know it. Once they've seen a movie, they've experienced it. And while upon repetition, a movie or a book or a television show will become more familiar and by that point they would be able to remember it like that, a song is purposely done in a lot of cases, in most cases, to be concise, short, and memorable. An artist who makes a song, a two minute, three minute, four minute, five minute song, once he makes it and he shares it with the world, it ain't his anymore. That's what it really boils down to because everybody, every, now hold on, anybody hold on. who hears it, anybody who, if they can play the guitar, they can make that song. If they can that, sing, but but or hum, well, John is right. On, John is right on one token. That is like ideally in any artist's world, if he gets to the point where his song really is being sung by everyone and their mother, that's a success story, right? Even but, if it doesn't make him money. But the difference is, those are covers. Even if you no 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 no. I'm not saying people are actually producing music. Okay. I'm saying you heard a song today. You can hum along to it. It's not that guy's song anymore. It's your song. It's part of your memories. It's part of you. Sure. You can't take but that, that away. You can't take that away. Correct. So what's the point of copyrights? Because copyright is different. It's sales and money and losses. It's a difference. It has nothing to do with singing or recreating the song in your own image. It has everything to do with financial gain. Copyright is about, I released this album on CD back when CD was the main form, let's say, about a decade ago or a little less. That is now something created by the artist. The artist owns it and is selling it. When someone tries to sell the same thing under their own name and not credit the other artist, they are stealing their intellectual property. That's the difference. If I'm just walking around singing their song, you're right, it's become part of my life, it's my emotion, it's my attachment. But I'm not selling it, I'm just singing it. Well, see, I follow you, but I also follow the, the absurdity of the whole affair that John is really pointing out here, because this whole thing reminds me, in fact, of... of a very old Simpsons joke from early seasons where Grandpa 
in order to oppress, impress one of the, uh, I, I believe it was in order to impress Marge's mother, what, took two potatoes, stuck the forks in them, as of the old bit Charlie Chaplin, and yeah. starts making the potatoes dance on the table. And then out of nowhere, a little bit of old sketch material for Old Simpsons, the copyright police come along and say, Sir, you are infringing on the estate of Charlie Chaplin. Please cease and desist. And they take the potatoes, and they throw them on the floor, and they smash them. Yeah. And later in the same exact episode, he was his heart is broken. He has a trench coat on, and he's walking away, and he says some quote clearly from an old movie, and they come by again. Sir, you are infringing, infringing on the estate of Jimmy Stewart. And they take his coat off. It, that's how ridiculous it is. There's no, the, the whole reason they would parody that is because there really is no copyright police. Unless you happen to be really in the wrong place at the wrong time, no one can possibly come after you for, for doing something so benign that doesn't really harm the person who created it, that isn't detracting homage from that person. It, it's, it's simply reenacting it in your memory, which, as I said before, is a success story. And not all of copyright law actually is just about the money. You can get in trouble for using intellectual properties uh, without a financial component being involved here. And that, that's where things start getting really ridiculous, because in a lot of cases, they're actually done because the person loves the artist yeah. so much, and then they're told, no, you can't do this, you cannot express your desire to propagate this love for it. Well, yes and no. It's, it, comes, it becomes less about, yes, you're right, it can't happen without money. It becomes a, a matter of infringement and damages. I mean... The reality is, if if I start singing one of Adam Warrock's songs all the time because I love it, he's not going to run after me with a piece of paper in his hand trying to sue me. It, it comes down to where these things are being used and how they're being used. The idea that we're putting out a podcast, even though it's free, we can't sing that song because we don't own it. And if she had decided to go after someone, which I've heard I think she does... She can get her money because we used it without her consent, without paying her anything, without giving her anything. And that's what it comes down to. It's, it's mostly pure judgment. But then where do you draw the line? That's, where do you draw the line? You're at a, say, a rally of some sort or another. Save whales or drill, drill, drill. doesn't really matter. But you play a song on a boombox. Is that copyright infringement? No. Why not? Because it's not being... It's not recorded anywhere. You're playing the actual artist's work. No, no, no. That's that's the whole thing. But you're using it in a form that the artist may or may not actually that, agree with. But that's irrelevant. That that's has actually... No, but an artist But that has nothing actually, to do with copyright. No. But under copyright law, you can actually sue for damages if you're, say, super liberal. And that has nothing to do with copyright. That has to do with damages of a personal persona. That's, that's separate part of intellectual property. Yes, which is in, on all intellectual property disputes don't have to do with copyright. But that's what I'm talking about here. Intellectual property law gets ridiculous. Yes. And it's really ridiculous. But that's not what we were just talking about. We were just copyright talking about copyright. Well, just to play moderator it. here, because I'm loving this, that you two are going at it finally. There's a thing... That is just bizarre about artists in general. And I think, it, I think the whole reason these laws exist is because there's no way to quantify how, what an artist is actually doing. There's no way to quantify his product. A service is really easy to quantify. A service such as in, in the science field, in the math field, and just about anything vocational, 
very, very, very easy to quantify. You've done a service, you get paid for it. But service is very ambiguous when you're talking about something about the arts because it's all about who's going to like it, who's going to love it. It's just it. who are you getting your money from. Those people specifically, that's the way the ideal world should work, but that's not the way it works because you can't always reach those people individually. I mean, there's a line there between whether it's a job or begging. And I think this is the whole reason it came about. That's why it's only really come about in the past hundred plus years. Well, also the difference is, like any other law or rule, it's created with good intent to protect those who deserve to be protected. However, yes. then it gets uh, bent, changed, or worked around depending on who the person is. Like the idea that Lars Ulrich um, attacked Napster and for the theft of music, which... In its basis form makes sense. If an artist who doesn't really have any other way to make money other than selling his music is then being stolen for free, it's a problem. The reason a lot of the community got upset with Lars Ulrich and Metallica was because he was an artist who was fairly well off at the time. So if some people are stealing his music, who cares? But on the flip side, yes. If an artist who isn't super famous, is trying to get by paycheck to paycheck, is still working a day job of recording music, and someone's stealing their music on the internet, it really hurts them, because every dollar matters. And so it's a fine line between. It's also, like, a good example is Michael Jackson, before he passed, owned the rights to the Beatles' music. <laughs> Technically, he can forbid, he could have forbid Paul McCartney from playing the songs he wrote. Which would have been a... In a public forum. Pretty dick move. Which is <laughs> a... If you... If completely legal and Actually, technically you, makes... you can't sense. ban people from covering in a live show. You can't. You can ban... If he wanted to re-record the Beatles music on his own... Okay. Michael could have banned him. So Paul McCartney can't That's make worse. Beatles <laughs> yes. songs. It's worse, yes. How is that not ass backwards? Well, to be frank, how is that not backwards? It is, but I, like I said... It's a point, Charlie. <laughs> right. Again, with, with infringement and laws like that, it really comes down to the execution and the ridiculousness of the situation. But that's a unique situation. And No, that's the whole thing is, intellectual property, when it comes to things like the more artistic fields, starts infringing upon the freedom of speech and a lot of stuff like that. Because I'm not one for, you know, taking, you know... My Little Ponies and turn them into Satanist dolls or something like that. That's stupid. But Hasbro can forbid somebody from doing something like that very easily. Yeah. Why? It's it's People are allowed to do that sort of thing. That's where you start breaching... I can see slander, and that's basically the extent of it. But that's, that's exactly, I think, it, especially with something like it, that. Why would it be slanderous? I think, that's yeah, where again, a lot I of the questions become, back. why would it actually be slanderous? Because otherwise, you're actually just infringing. Well, slanderous is a part of term. I don't think point. slanderous would necessarily be included in any. Well, no, that's one of the main. Lawsuit. But that's one of the main. Actually, it's used well, a lot. Actually, but yeah, that's one of the main reasons why. Uh, uh, you, 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 that's one of the main rules that actually circumvents freedom of speech. I mean, I do believe that a lot of it is money grabs. Well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's. I, don't, we, I think that's, that's what, what we it is anyway. at its core. Yes, but I have an example of where it's not a money grab and it's just wanting to protect your art from being destroyed by crappy musicians. And that's the flip side. Everyone knows the story of Vanilla Ice. And when he wrote Ice Ice Baby, he claimed that the beat was different from 
Um, uh, under pressure. Under pressure. Thank you. By Queen. By Queen. Mm-hmm. And then when you play them back to back, he's absolutely nuts because they're identical. So? So Queen felt, well, here's this terrible artist ruining something that's important to us. We, but, and the, but the problem was, though, there, Queen didn't want to fight. Queen just said, you, cu- cu- you sampled us, pay us our money, and we're done. And it was Vanilla Ice who stupidly made a stink and said, no, it's different, man. This is mine. I wrote this. Oh, well, in that case, you wrote this. Now we're going to court, which I think is fair. When someone else is claiming on creating something that's clearly not theirs, it's fair to want to protect what you made because you made it. That would, mm. that would probably fall underneath slander. But had he actually said, yes, I sampled from you, and I'm using it in my song, and no, I'm not paying you, then I would actually be kind of okay with it. I want to just propose, because, though. I, wait, I think wait, wait, we wait. are, just more quick, because I, I think that most of us know that it was probably a sample at the same time. Do we have it written down anywhere? Do we ha- did he ever come out and finally say that it was a sample? Because theoretically, something, so. something so simple as dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, who's to say that that can't be replicated individually? It's, it's kind of a no-brainer, almost. It is, but they, I mean, they put it side by side and they sounded very similar, but the idea is also... The, as see, they that's could, the whole thing. as they... Easy as... <laughs> and, for, and you said point blank that it was a great artist being ripped on by a terrible artist. Well, I'm sure there's people out there, all both of them, who like Vanilla Eyes better than Queen, and those two people out there will say, no, 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 he took but a it, terrible thing and made it good. But, so, you uh, there you go. There's but, your but argument. That, but, like, no, but that wasn't my argument. You're completely ignoring my actual defense. point, was that the reason Queen fought was because he, he fought. No, the first thing was, pay us, you sampled us. Right. They should not have been able to say, pay us, you sampled. Mm, no. I disagree. It's then for- why make art to begin with if you don't want people to follow your footsteps? That's not the same thing. Well, there's one point in being unique, but if you're going to produce something, you have to know that once everybody has seen it, anybody has seen it, it is no longer yours. That's my point. Once you've actually shown your idea to somebody else, it is no longer your idea. You've given them part ownership in that idea. Again, just from a history standpoint, I think a lot of this has to do... I mean, I don't know why why officials would have any interest in this, but just to keep artists from falling under that starving artist stereotype, which kind of is the way it was for hundreds and hundreds of it years. It still is now it still in is places. kind of now, but there are a lot of, of defenses. And sometimes, yes, they go a little bit too far. I do think that, that red tape is a little bit extreme these days. But then again, when you do stack that up against, you know, a time when there was just no law whatsoever, when you couldn't... It would be very difficult to prove unless you... you uh, had all of your papers in their right order and kept them on your person at all times. It's, it's just, it was impossible. Well, the reality is there's an extreme on both ends and finding a middle ground, especially when it comes to bureaucracy, is very difficult. I mean, that's really where this lies. Well, don't let me diffuse your argument. The, you're, not diffu- you're not <laughs> diffusing my argument, but the thing is John's taking it to extreme A instead of leaning more towards the What's the point of creating art if you can't... That's, you're, you're taking it... You're, ma- you're ignoring the gray area. Let's talk about perception also, because there are artists who care and there are artists who don't. Yeah. I think there are artists who feel exactly like John said, which is, of course, art is for everyone. What do I care if my, my work is getting played? That's, that is an... Uh, it's what I said in the beginning. That is an homage to me as an artist if my work is getting played by anyone. And, well, the and that's the is, difference. If the art is better... But but that, the masses, it will be recognized. But as it's such. but what it comes down to is the artist, not the art. That's what it really comes down to. The fact of the matter is, 
when I was at the show last Sunday and Adam Warrock said, I have this new record out. It costs 10 bucks on the internet, but you know what? If you got it by downloading it, great. I'm just glad you're listening to it. It's proof that he cares more about his art than the money. And that's fine. But again, that's the artist. It has little to say about the law or the rule. That has little to do with it because it ultimately boils down to how the artist treats it. Because copyright law and copyright infringement comes down to the artist pursuing it. If there's a song out in the world that's an exact ripoff of something else, if the artist never pursues it, it's moot. It doesn't matter. And honestly, more fair, often, every, and honestly, you hear about is, is when artists made a big. But, but about well, it. and also, it's not always up to the artist because not all artists own their music. Sometimes the recording company does. That's what that actually. And that me and exactly. that's what it comes down to on the bigger scale is if, say, Sony owns artist A and artist A is covered, artist A may not care, but Sony, who helped put out and put money in it, will go. Well, we care. It's our money. So we're going to chase this person down and pursue them. And that's where a lot of the complication really happens, I think. I think I'm more of a Darwinism when it comes to art. If the art's good enough, if it really is quality pieces, and you charge for it, people will spend money. I do that. If I like music enough, I find it on Slacker, Pandora, what have you. I find it on YouTube. I see. I find it actually good enough, I buy the music. I see where you're going. I support people who make good art i see why you use the term darwinism in terms of like national selection only the best you know will rise to the top but a more simplified version of it is capitalism i mean that's that's essentially it a true capitalist way of life would be well no protection go for it just completely go for it if you've got the chops then you will get to the top it's not always true uh in fact it's in this particular area where i i do sometimes recede and 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 say it's not entirely perfect um, because, yes, crime can occur. And there yeah. are very unsavory people in the world and people who will, uh, I'd say, steal your art and then make absorbent amounts of money on it without owing any homage to you whatsoever. And I do believe that's wrong. Yes. I um, mean, also the reality of it is, I think on the whole, is if you create art you want it to be spread and shared and and how that happens can vary on a case-by-case basis and ultimately you want it out there me personally i'm still i feel like i'm the only person on the planet who buys cds because i like what comes with the cd the disc the art the 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 graphic everything that new cd smell that too oh god but the reality is you know i think the reason I don't like pirating music is this. Because the people who pirate music and only pirate music and never buy any are the type of people I feel, and I'm generalizing a bit, who also expect everything and don't feel like they earn anything. You know, they just, they just take what they want regardless of repercussions. And that's why those laws are in place. For the person like that who feels like he's entitled to everything without giving anything... That's ultimately who those rules were to deter and protect. But as any other any other law or rule, they get bent and warped by the internet age. Right, here's the thing, though. Um, on the whole, I agree with you. But I have a little bit of a I get kind of a major point with that uh, regarding the torrenting era, and this is why I'm really really glad that the Spotify era is sort of a new thing right yeah. now, where actually you do kind of have access to 
whole albums for free, and it's a massive library. Mm. I mean, there's no reason not, not to illegally. indulge in this. Yeah. It's not, not illegally illegal downloading them. Yeah. It's legally downloading them. Yeah. Yeah, if downloading them at all. I mean, everyone is, most uh, most people are, are have a hardwired connection to the internet, so it's really not that big deal to stream it these days either. But, just looking at the last 15 years, the era of downloading music, beginning with Napster, moving on through Casa and LimeWire, and then ultimately to the Torrents, all these illegal ways of obtaining music. Yes, it's wrong, and I I think all of your points are valid. It, that probably is indicative of a, of a kind of person who thinks that they're not entitled, I mean, that they are entitled to everything and they don't owe anything. At the same point, though, there are people who use it as a means to an end. People who use it just so they can get the knowledge, because otherwise they'd have no sources. This is the thing. We've talked about sources of media before. Radio doesn't always do that great a job. No. Media doesn't always do that great a job. Your peers don't always do that great a job. I mean, I could think of plenty of peers who I would never borrow any music taste from whatsoever. So sometimes you just need to do your own research. And at least in the upbringing perspective, when you're going through puberty and you don't really have the money to be throwing around on album to album to album, I think I am going to make the claim that as wrong as it is, the side effect of the last 15 years of torrenting has been a younger generation that is much more cultured than the previous. I will give credit to that, but again, I'm talking about the very extreme example of the person who never spends money on art. Of ever. course. And I feel like that's just and I, believe, I believe the idea is that, oh, well, once you get over that hump, once you, 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 you're making money now, then why, you know, if you really care, if you're really passionate about the music, throw money toward the yeah. artist. You get in a nice little box you put it in your shelf it's beautiful or at least you can download it digitally from anywhere in the world for the rest of your life yeah, yeah. exactly there's that too yeah which is a nice uh, addition <coughs> from the Amazon that's worth the buck the Amazon and iTunes is. generation yeah for yeah. sure yeah. but I still don't demonize torrenting to the same uh, extent that many others do of course and I agree because they, they would go out there and take the John stance as he just put forth that art is for everyone that is that is the personal philosophy of many torrenters out there, and, and people I, who started the websites themselves. And and I and and I I fight that to a point because it's just if someone's getting by based on that download and you pluck it from them, that's a problem. It really is, and it's a level of extremes, and 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 finding middle ground. I think is ultimately where we get with this at the end is finding that dreamy middle ground that'll probably not ever happen. I think I think what we should really do is take all of the artists in the world and throw them on the Galapagos Islands and see what happens. And see, see if Darwinism takes its effect. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, Thanks for work. that, John. Nice to end on such an intellectual note. Steve, what? Please, Steve, please save no, us and take us into your spam <coughs> of this week, please. Save you by I... taking you into a spam? I may never hear you say those words again. I Probably not. I'm very desperate. Before we wrap up, please. Those poor turtles. <sighs> Good day. This is kind of off topic, but I need some guidance from an established blog. We're established. Is it very difficult to set you your own blog? I'm not very technical, but I can figure things out pretty fast. I'm thinking of setting up my own, but I'm not sure where to start. Do you have any tips, suggestions? Thank you. Who's it from? That is from Personal Loan Bank. We can advise banks. We can advise bank personnel on how to be not so boring. 
I think I think that my first level of advice would be to to take all those uh, home mortgages that are obviously not getting paid and just forget about them. I think that's step one. I think that I think that's a good starting point. I think step two would be to give back all the money that they stole from the rest of the people. I think step three. Whoa. Would, uh, yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> oh, okay, we're going, going on a political round here. That way, and man. John's time to talk <laughs> is over. So next week we actually the second time you're done. <laughs> F the man. Or whoever we get it, John. You hate the government. Uh, it's fine. Moving government. on. Sigh. So disappointed. next week we have a guest. Um, we're bringing in another Wasties solo. Um, Sarah Biz is going to join us. She's going to bring her guitar and play some songs. And she's also bringing us an album that's kind of out of left field. Someone who I'd forgotten has been actually been doing legitimate folk music for a while now. Um, Steve Martin's banjo record, um, folk banjo record, featuring... Um, Edie Brickell, I believe, is how the name is pronounced, a female vocalist who sings with, either sings with him or is the lead singer on the record. The, lo- the album is called Love Has Come For You, and this is the record she's going to bring us t- to us next week. She's going to play some songs as well. Um, and you said this is Grammy level? Yes, he won a Grammy for one of the songs on the album, I believe. Steve Martin. Yeah. Steve Martin. I think See, that might be his, it's, only, it's that might be his only Grammy. Grammy. <laughs> It's hilarious to oh me. <laughs> it's hilarious to me how blown away Steve is by this because Steve Martin's been playing well, highly regarded banjo music for a decade, at least. But be that as it may, we'll get into this. I haven't actually heard any of his previous records, but this is the newest one, so we will check this out. Um, I will hopefully know by next week which track he actually won the Grammy for. Um, on that note, though, we will wrap up and see you next week. And remember, as always, music is life. And And life life is is good. good. It's so damn good.